Welcome everyone to the Brandon Adams podcast. This is episode 32. I have with me Phil Galfond. This will be for hardcore poker fans only. We're going to be talking about Phil's various poker challenges and his challenge with me. Uh, along the way, we're going to be uh, fully nailing down dates and terms and all that sort of stuff. So this is for the for the hardcore poker fans only. Uh, Phil, I anxiously want to hear about your your challenges. I want to start with your first challenge against uh, Vini Vidi 1993. We don't know his his full name. You guys played 25,000 hands. It started off as a nightmare. I want you to take us through the nightmare as it developed and then sort of peak nightmare, uh, key decision point, uh, walk us through it. Yeah, so we, we started out playing, it was, it was 100, 200 um, euro on, on uh, sometime in January. And I, it was the first real high stakes poker online that I'd played in a long time but I was preparing. I was studying a lot and I felt pretty confident going in. And, um, you know, first session I lost, um, no big deal. Second session I lost, no big deal. And, um, after the first week, I mean, I might be misremembering the amounts, but I was pretty quickly down, you know, two, 300,000. And again, you know, 10, 15 buy-ins, it's not, the end of the world it, it, that kind of swing happens all the time um and i felt like i was playing pretty well i felt like i mean he was playing well but like kind of how i expected and so i i still felt good at that point about the situation actually i was having a lot of fun being back playing um especially heads up heads up to my favorite format so all in all i still felt okay um but then it just continued i think i had you know a small win here or there but nothing big he was he was he was having six figure winning sessions regularly. And I basically wasn't at all, um, for a while. And it was around when I was down, I think about 450,000, um, or 22, 23 buy-ins that I was, well, it was getting hard, um, emotionally because, you know, not only had I been confident and excited going in, but this was, this was on a pretty big stage. And it was, uh, in addition to that, it was the first of several challenges that I was going to play. And so my, and, and Venny wasn't even, I mean, he was probably supposed to be my second or third toughest opponent. So I was not, uh, it, it was, it was hard, not only being on a big stage, everybody watching and, and me performing poorly, obviously a lot of doubters, um, saying, you know, well, of course, Phil's washed up. He's, he's been out of the game for a while. These, these new young kids and their tools, um, he, he, you know, he's no match for them. Um, so there was all that, but there was also, you know, financially, I'm, I'm now down a bit of money and I have several more to go. And if I am as big an underdog as this might suggest to, to Venny, then I, it's not going to be a good year for me as I go through the rest of that challenge and the rest of other challenges. Um, I still thought that I, uh, even at, at that point, I still thought that I was a favorite in the match, but I guess I would say the way I would describe it is I thought there was like an 80% chance that I was a favorite and a 20% chance that I was not. Um, and kind of as the downswing continued that, that 20% uh, continued to rise. And so it really reached its peak um, around 900,000 down. And there was never really hope. It was, it was almost straight down. I had, I think, one, one decent winning session of like 150K and then lost more than that the very next day. So it was, it was short-lived, the, um, the, uh, the hope that I had for, for a moment there. And yeah, I found myself down 45 buy-ins. And at that point there are a lot of considerations because there's, there's a, do I, do I actually think I'm a favorite in this match? And at that point I was kind of a coin flip in my head. Um, B, even if I am a favorite and even if I'm a big favorite, I'm extremely unlikely to make a comeback and actually win the side bet. Cause the structure of all these matches um, are, you know, we play a set amount of hands and if, 
if one person wins, they win a side bet of whatever amounts. And if you quit at any point, you, you can quit whenever you want, but you just lose the side bet. Um, and so at that point, there was not really any EV in the side bet. Like, uh, even if I were a big favorite, it's something like a whatever sub 5% chance that I would come back and win, I think. If I remember the math, maybe sub 10, depending on how big a favorite. So at that point, it was just, what do I want to do? Do I want to, do I want to keep fighting and kind of prove to myself? And I mean, admittedly prove to the world that I could compete with this guy. Not that, not that I could make a full comeback, but that, you know, for the next 10, 15,000 hands, the last 10, 15,000 hands, I could break even, or I could actually win a few hundred thousand back. Um, or do I want to move on and, you know, let this one go there. There are a lot of considerations there too, with even if you were evenly matched at the beginning, the player with momentum, momentum is a real thing. It's, it's, uh, the, pl the player who's winning has more confidence. The player who's losing not only has less confidence, but also in some ways less information because, you know, when somebody is like check raising the river, has check raised the river a hundred times and you've called 40 of them and they've had it 35 of them. Does that mean they're not bluffing or does that mean that they're running hot because they're obviously running hot as well? Um, and so I, I, I thought I was going to quit um, and actually was planning to, but we, um, Venny actually had a, a short trip coming up. So we were going to be taking like a week off or so, um, like a week from then. And so we had a mechanism where I could pay a penalty and either player, if they missed a day would pay a penalty. And so I had to pay a penalty to, to miss like five days, which I forget what that amount was. And I just said, I'm going to take the next two weeks off, two and a half weeks off and decide what I want to do, uh, kind of get my head on straight and figure it out. Uh, and so, so that's what I did. I, I took that time off and I, and I thought about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, at that point from the, I was, I was definitely demoralized um, and uh, sad really, because this was kind of my comeback to online poker. And, um, and, and with any kind of downswing in poker, you're not just thinking about the money you lost, but you're thinking about your expectations for the next five, 10, 20 years of, of what you're capable of and what you can earn uh, in the game. And so it was, it was a hard time uh, for sure. Um, but um, in the end, what I did during that time is I studied a little bit, but I also played against other opponents just on PokerStars, Zoom, heads up. Um, plenty of opponents who were, you know, roughly equally skilled to Venny. And I did really well. I mean, I ran hot during that sample, but I, I did really well. And that was a key factor in deciding that, you know, I do have enough confidence that I can compete. Um, and I do want to continue the match. So, I mean, we continued, I, my first, my first, um, my first session back was a big win. It was just under, I think 150 to 200K. Um, and the graph kind of just reversed course. And it went from me, you know, winning the, the rare session and him having a bunch of wins to him winning the rare session and, and me having a bunch of wins. And um, long story short, I mean, we got, uh, not that this is short, but, but we got to the end and we're actually neck and neck. Um, I actually got into the, uh, the green or the black, whatever you want to call it at, at like 23,000 hands or something, 22, 23, he took the lead back. But in the final two days, we were within four buy-ins. Um, and it actually became, uh, kind of the ultimate nail biter of a match. And we had, uh, going to the last day, I think we were part about a buy-in and a half. I was down about a buy-in and a half. Um, and I had done all this prep for, okay, if we, uh, if there are this many hands left and somebody's up this amount or down this amount, you know, a player can fold out to victory. Um, and because the, like it, 
if you're, if you have 5,000 hands left and you could fold to victory, you still don't, it's still a bad decision to fold to victory because the money you would lose by folding every blind costs more than like the EV you gain by locking up a win. Um, and so it really actually, all the math I did, it seems like it doesn't make sense to fold to victory until like the final few hundred hands, but I mapped out, okay, when is he going to fold to victory? When would I want to fold to victory? Because that impacts play. You all of a sudden, you know, for the first time in my life, I was playing a, a heads up cash game that felt like a tournament, um, because it was, it was kind of sudden death in a way. And there's, there's, you know, chips become more valuable, um, as you, as you approach the threshold where somebody can, can just fold out to victory, uh, take a knee, so to speak. And so it was strange. I, I, I didn't, I never in a million years thought, thought that it would be undecided on the, on the last day. Um, and I especially didn't think it would even going into that day, I didn't think it'd be undecided, uh, with, you know, 200 hands left to play, but it was. And, uh, in, in dramatic fashion, uh, I ended up winning, uh, I think it was something like a hundred hands left, uh, maybe less, but something around there where I, I was up enough just barely to, to fold out and, uh, take the knee and, and clinch the victory. And actually, you know, basically won nothing on the actual play. I think I won $1,500 on the actual play, but I won the side bet and, and it was definitely a, a moral victory, a huge, huge moral victory. And it was great commentating on that last match. I watched a, a bit of that. It was, uh, uh, Joe Ingram, I remember, and I think yeah, Joey was there, um, and uh, Joe Stapleton and uh, David Tuckman were all in the booth on the on the final day. That's great. That's great. And w was every session streamed? Every session was streamed. Yeah, we streamed on the Run It Once Twitch channel, um, and and all with commentators, uh, different cast of commentators rotating in and out, in and out. But um, Stapes and Tuck were kind of the main. Two of the mainstays and another guy, Henry, uh, Henry Kilbane, who's, who's awesome. Um, and they had some guests coming in and out. Joey did a few. Um, but actually, but we, we um, so our final day on Twitch, I think we, we topped out at something like 26,000 concurrent viewers, which is really, really high for poker on Twitch, especially considering that it's, it's PLO and there's no whole cards. So people were just watching us play without knowing what we had and uh and in you know a less popular format um so it, in that way it was it was a big success so i want to go back in time a bit before we go forward to the uh the action freak match um my question is what what came first the offer or the study so by the offer i mean you you posted on twitter um, pretty generous terms for anyone who would take you on in a, in a heads up match, you would give them a, a, a strong price if they would just play you in heads up PLO over a fairly long duration. Um, so that's the offer. And my question is, um, was there an immense amount of study before, before this point, or was there a bit of study that had been done and you were confident in your track. So you were willing to put in the offer knowing that you could do a bunch of study once some challenges were, were on the books. I want, I want to know how that, how that went. And obviously for viewers, we should point out that, um, <clears throat> the release of the challenge also roughly corresponded in time with the release of the vision trainer on your coaching site, run And the vision trainer is a, a GTO tool that you can explain how it works, but it basically takes a, a database of Munker solutions and, and puts them into sort of fairly easy to examine uh, format for heads up play. So I assume Vision Trainer was part of your, your preparation, but I would like to know how far along were you in the preparation when you issued the challenge? The, the short answer is not very far. I had been um, studying 6Max PLO um, for... I want to say a few months. And I was actually, what I was trying to do was study. Um, I was trying to study all the games with the plan to start playing more live, like Bobby's room mix. Uh, so I was studying, you know, horse uh, six uh, ring yellow, or I was studying six max. Cause that's what you can practice online. Um, 
and a little bit of no one hold them, although I didn't get very deep into there. And, um, but I didn't get very far. And I, the, um, the idea came to me when I was, um, I was, it, it was a run once training meeting and we were looking at, uh, we were going through like video views and my views were dropping over the years. And I started to think, oh, well, I guess I haven't been playing much. Um, and it makes sense that people want to watch me less. Um, but I guess it bothered me a little bit because I, I still felt like I had a lot to teach. And, um, you know, there were several other, um, over, over the past several years, you know, more training sites popped up and, and there was more PLO training content. And so I guess I felt a little bit defensive of that. And I thought that this could be a, a good promotion essentially for, for both businesses, for the training site, for the poker site and something I would love to do. And I, I kind of wanted an excuse to, to really work hard on my game. Um, I mean, to be clear, I, so it was, it was an open challenge to people who made training content on other sites. And then I said, I would, you know, uh, and it was generous terms to them, but then it was kind of, if anybody else wants to play, let me know and we'll work out terms. And there were, um, I mean, obviously I was action freak and Venny VD, um, are two kind of top PLO players online but I at least felt like I had a, a pretty good chance against them. There were a few people that, um, I mean, I wouldn't say there were people I turned away, but there essentially were because I had more, I had more requests than, than I had time to play. And I chose the ones that, you know, combination of, I thought I had the best chance to compete would be good for, you know, good for viewers. And then, um, kind of schedule wise worked out. So there were some, there were a couple of players who I would not have played, um, at that point say I wasn't confident enough for sure. So with regard to Vini Vidi, you made the comment that he was supposed to be the second or third hardest opponent that you had. You also made the comment that you thought you had the edge through the first quarter of the match or so, even though you were losing. Um, my question is, um, what do you base that on? And the reason, the reason I think it's an interesting question is because it's sort of like, in any sort of sports analytics, you have, okay, do we use the last month or do we use the last three years? Do we care about the last uh, five golf tournaments the player has played or their last three years. Um, and there are strong arguments for sort of both sides. Uh, poker is going through an interesting period in time where um, computers and analytical methods are making such rapid inroads in the game that the, the level of understanding is sort of changing very quickly. So there's kind of, there's kind of a decent case for throwing out three years ago data and sort of focusing on the past uh, year or so. So I, I, I'm basically wondering, um, <clears throat> do you make these assessments based on the idea that you know how, how Vini has done against various opposition and you're sort of looking at his recent results essentially, or do you base it on, you have great confidence of what heads up play is supposed to look like because you trust the solutions you're seeing from your Munker solver coaches or vision trainer or whatever. And, and you kind of see he's varying in key spots where you're confident in your own solutions. And you take that to mean that he's a lesser player. The answer is it was not so, I, I wasn't looking at any real data. Um, I was like my, I had two, kind of three, but really two poker friends that I talked a lot of poker with at that point. Um, and I mean, both could play PLO. One was more of the PLO player. Um, and I was, I was basically getting my intel from them on 
how tough everybody is, what they thought I was capable of. And um, essentially, you know, and, and I mean, they were guessing too. We were all guessing how good I could get in, in a matter of months. Um, but that was, that was essentially it was I was, I was relying on my friends to tell me um, kind of where they thought people stood relative to each other and um, kind of relative to, well, to my friends and then where they thought I could get. And that, that was it. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't personally, like I, I didn't have data um, for many meteor action freak or, or anybody really. And I mean, I think in poker, the data matters, but like you said, you know, times change and they change pretty quickly. Um, and I think it's more about essentially finding leaks in your opponent's game. And at least for me, like as well, once the match starts finding leaks in your opponent's game and, and seeing like, if you're spotting your opponent, making enough mistakes, then you have confidence that, that you can beat them. If you're playing against somebody and you're spotting very few mistakes, it should tell you that, I mean, like there's a very good chance that, that they're the stronger player because, because you see everybody makes mistakes, essentially everybody makes mistakes all the time. And, um, but yeah, it's just a question of like seeing plays, not necessarily like a stat leak, but just seeing plays that you think are not logical or you think that, that imply or, or mean that you can take advantage in a certain way. Um, that's, that's what I do when I'm playing to figure out like where I think I stand against people. And, um, I think, I think there's a perception out there that, that top players are like playing very, very close to optimal and they're not, um, like we, everybody makes mistakes all the time. Um, but it's just getting an idea of kind of how big those mistakes are. And I think sometimes when you spot a mistake, it can tell you something about a lack of understanding your opponent has about a specific concept or spot. And if you're confident that they're wrong, that also implies that you have that understanding and they don't. And so that's kind of one area where you have an edge. But to answer your question, long story short, I just kind of trusted my friends to, to guide me. So when you, when you're in college, one thing that, that happens is, um, you can really enjoy a subject until you take a course in it and then you have to do the stuff and then all of a sudden it isn't fun anymore. Um, so with regard to the poker study, once, once you had essentially committed to this long program of poker study, having enrolled all of these challengers, um, was the study fun or was it a burden? It ended up being fun because I ended up finding out what worked best for me. So I, I, I enjoy studying with vision for the most part. I mean, I, I can't do it for eight hours, but I enjoy it um, because it's a kind of, um, it's a simpler interface than Munker Solver and you can do practice mode where you're just fed different spots and you, you guess the right play and it tells you if you're right or wrong. I, I dislike studying in Munker Solver um, and I did it a bit. Um, and I didn't feel like I got a lot out of it. So what I ended up doing is I spent a lot of time studying in vision. Um, and even like before the match and then during the match, I would probably spend cause you, you can do vision on your phone. So I'd like spend an hour at night just practicing spots and it would be, it, it might be, you know, Oh, I feel like I'm not defending the right amount, like playing flop spots against a seabed in a three bet pot. Well, and I just, drill that spot over and over. Um, and that's most of what I did. And then there were times. So like I, I, I mentioned two friends, they were never both, uh, really helping me at the same time. They kind of took turns, but sometimes I'd have, uh, one of them who was more of the more proficient with Munker would essentially look back at big hands. I played and run them and tell me when I made a mistake. Um, and then the other one, and, and so he, you know, like a document of the mistakes I made basically. Um, the other one, when he would help me, he was doing that at first, but kind of just, he wasn't looking the spots up very often. He was just telling me what he thought. Um, but we both, what we all found later was that 
I did a lot better watching a video than reading a document. And so starting like a month into my first challenge, I wasn't really doing any other than flicking through vision. I wasn't doing any active studying. I was just like every, like it varied in challenges. Like in, in some challenges, I basically didn't get any videos, but in, in some, I would get like a video every day or two, like an hour long video that, that went over some of the spots I played and I would just watch it. And I found that that worked well for me, both because I think I learned better that way, but also I found that it didn't burn me out and, um, energy and focus is limited. Uh, and when you're playing a challenge, you know, five days a week, uh, four to five days a week and, and trying to study a bit outside of that, it was, it was wearing me out too much to, to do active studying myself. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good solution. So, um, I suppose that the standard in these online matches is that it's just assumed that, um, well, I would imagine there are no HUDs or like online assistants. That seems sort of obvious, or I don't, I don't know if the HUDs is obvious, but. In all my challenges, the way we did it was, so run it once. We, I've played many video on run it once poker. Run it once poker doesn't allow HUDs. So we didn't have HUDs. Um, party poker is where I played Action Freak. They don't allow HUDs. So, I, so I, we didn't play with HUDs in any of my matches, but we would have had we played on a site. Like had we played on Poker Stars, we would have. Uh, but I guess like you and I, when we, when we were talking about playing online, we said no HUDs. So that was like, that was just a rule that, that you and I agreed to. Um, but my other challengers, I, I'm pretty sure. Oh, and actually Bill also said no HUDs, uh, Bill Perkins. We agreed to that, but my, but like Benny and, um, Action Creek would we, I'm sure that we would have used HUDs if allowed. If we, if, if on a site that allowed it, but honestly, it doesn't really help that much when you're playing a 25,000 hand match against one opponent, you know how they play. HUDs are more helpful when you're, you're playing, you know, four tables, six handed, and you have to quickly see, oh, this player's pretty tight or this player doesn't see that very much. But if you're playing one guy, um, day in, day out, you just, you know, already. Yeah. Um, so in your subsequent matches, you, you haven't had a loss yet. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I've played hands outside of matches and, and have lost against some opponents that I've played for a while, but yeah. And when, when you said that Beanie was your second or third uh, toughest opponent, who was expected to be your toughest opponent? Action Freak, I expected to be my toughest. And I wasn't sure if, if, um, if any of you are Jungle Man would be better. Um, and I haven't yet played jungle. We played a short challenge, but I haven't played the full challenge against jungle man. But I think actually Benny VD turned out to be, I, I'm confident he'll end up being the toughest, no slight to anybody else because they're, they're also really strong, but he, um, he played better than I thought he would and actually improved, improved a lot as the match went on, um, in my opinion. And the Action Freak match, why don't, why don't you give a quick summary of that one? So the Action Freak match was, I mean, it ended up being fairly close, but it was not very, um, it's not as compelling because I took a pretty big early lead. Um, something, in, I, I forget, something in the neighborhood. So we played 50, uh, 150, 300. So buy-in was 30K. I got out to... Uh, I want to say I'm, I'm forgetting. I want to say 400 K lead. And then essentially, I mean, there were, there were ups and downs, but I kind of just slowly lost some back, but he never took the lead. And it just like, I actually, I, I ended up winning by four buy-ins or something, but it, he never really, um, it, it never got close to, to him taking the lead at any point in the match because I got off to a hot start and then there was never much, I mean, there was some back and forth, but it just didn't get close. So it wasn't that compelling. And, and in the end I, I, I won by three, four buy-ins, but I was, I was not ever at risk. Like in the final days, I was not at risk of losing. Um, and actually I lost buy-ins in the final few days, but, um, but still was up enough that it was not a real risk. 
And then your match with Chance, you said at first was going to be 35,000 hands. Yeah. And and roughly for uh, listeners, it's, we think, 100 hands per table per hour online. Is that about right? That's what I thought. Um, but most of the matches, ended, they ended up being slower than that. And actually, the Chance match was the slowest because uh wsop.com has like the longest time banks of any of the sites we played on and we also were both i think pretty careful um essentially out of respect for each other uh careful about uh giving away too much with time like staying consistent with our timings and so that match i mean it was 25 we, we ended up playing twenty five thousand hands and i think it we started in, I mean, I think, I think it was almost five months that we played and, and we expected it to be like a two month match when we, when we first planned it. And so all of the matches were slower than I thought. I think that, I think it's probably because heads up, no limit is, is a lot faster than heads up PLO. And a lot of the figures you hear thrown around, most people play no limit. And so I, I forget what I think. I think that chance and I would play like, start at i want to say 10 to 4 so we play six hours and i think we would we would only get like 100 hands an hour if i'm remembering correctly and so it ended up being slow and actually that's what i mean i expected to be done all of my challenges in 2020 and uh that, that is not what happened <laughs> for a number of reasons pandemic being one of them and i remember the side bet being pretty big on that one uh yes chance is is a, is a training site coach so he took me up on the the training site coach challenge where i i laid longer odds so um it was 100 200 um so 20k buy-in the side bet though was my 1 million to his 250k so he had four to one on the side bet um, and actually that match was another one that was tougher than i expected uh chance played um, a lot better than I expected. Not that I expected him to be bad, bad, but he was not like a, he was not battling in the heads up online streets, um, and, and hadn't for a long time. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I didn't think it would be easy, but I thought over 35,000 hands, it would, I, I'd have extremely low chance, uh, extremely small chance of losing, but, um, it was really swingy. I got out to a big lead. He then went on a huge heater, took a big lead, um, and was there for a bit. And then I, I retook it and, and, and held it, but it was, it was definitely a tougher match than I expected. And, um, he was a more unorthodox opponent than any of my others. And I think I didn't handle it well for, for a long time in the match. He was, he was out to an early lead, right? I, no, well, I was out to the lead first. I, I forget what I won. Um, maybe 400K or so early. But he then went on a, I want to say 800K plus heater. And then he was he was leading by 20 buy-ins. So I think I, here, I can pull up the, there's a graph. Yeah, so early on, okay, no, it was smaller than that. So I was up 280 after about two weeks and then he got uh to plus 350 um by well he actually took took back the lead pretty fast it was like three weeks to go from me plus 280 to me minus 280 and then he took it all the way to me minus 350 uh, a few weeks later but then i I don't know, turned a corner or started running hot. It's, it's really hard to tell actually, um, especially against chance. Um, but then, uh, ended up winning, um, 725 K, which is actually, it was cause of rake. So he was down 750, which apparently he had, um, he had set aside a million dollars to play the challenge, which was 750 plus the, the side bet of, of, uh, 250. And so he called it quits at, at 25 K hands. I'll ask you a question that you can pass on, but since this is probably a hardcore poker audience, they would like me to answer, ask the question. 
Um, who are the three guys that you would least like to battle in a 25K heads up challenge? Uh, PLO? Yeah. Or no, PLO. Okay. Um, it's kind of changed. So the, the players that I was most afraid of, maybe it still is. Um, one is uh, Barry Sweet, who real name unknown. Another is Ben Solsky, um, sauce, and then, uh, Ben Tollerine, uh, Ben 86, but both Ben's, well, actually, I think all of them have not been playing, um, heads up PLO much, I guess maybe Ben, Ben Tollerine has been, I think, but I think sauce and very sweet have not been playing a lot of heads up PLO since I started my challenges. And so I don't know if it would change. There, there are a lot of online guys that are really tough, but I think I'm going to stick with those if, if they came back to it and dedicated themselves. I think that's how I'd be. That, that's how I'd like to play least. Nice. Um, okay. So we have most of our challenge sort of mapped out, but um, we should sort of go through it. So we make sure we're on the same page. We should. And it's been a while since we talked about it. Okay. So we have five days of eight hours each live at yeah. your preference was Aria, right? It is. I would love to get, I would love to get the match streamed or recorded, but I know that we tried back when we tried, like in 2020, we talked to poker go and they were too busy. Didn't want to do it. And we didn't really try anywhere else. I, I would like to, my preference would be to try to get it streamed or recorded so people could watch uh, either during or after the fact. But if you don't want to, then you don't have to. Yeah, it's a stream, stream is fine. Um, yeah, provided it doesn't detract from the poker environment too much. Obviously places like Ivy's are a nice uh, spot to play. Uh, so poker go would be excellent. Um, if it's something random, maybe that would not be great. Um, okay. But uh, stream is good. And even if it were in the Aria, you could theoretically have some sort of stream, right? Like low quality sort of phone stream. I would even like that. I don't know if we're technically, we might have to get approval to do it. But but I know, I also know, I think Bellagio, I prefer playing an Aria to Bellagio. Bellagio for a while had a cash game stream. I don't know where they recorded it, what part of the Bellagio. I don't think it was in Bobby's room. But um, I don't know. Yeah, we could try. We, we could see what's out there. Or we could release this podcast and, <laughs> and then uh, see if people come to us. Okay, so stream, maybe yes, maybe no, depending. Yeah, depending. I, I agree with you that, you know, I don't want us to drive 30 minutes out of the way and play in an uncomfortable setting just to get it on stream. And then stacks reset to 20K effective daily. Honestly, I don't, I don't remember, but I believe you. And I also am happy with that. So even if, even if you just made that up, I'm good with it. Breaks and stops are costly in some way. We decided that was something to be discussed. Oh, yeah. You can quit. As we said, you owe the side bet, but you, you can't break or stop. What does that mean? So we'll obviously at some point need to go to the bathroom. So some small breaks will be fine, but like a day off there needs to be a penalty or, you know, quitting four hours early one day. There needs to be a penalty of some kind so that we're not keeping each other, you know, busy longer. Right. Um, so what, what was it with, uh, with Vini? Um, we did. I have, I have like a written contract with him somewhere. I have to look up, but it was something like, $800 an hour that you didn't play. That seems like a good, that seems like a good number. Yeah. Eight, 800 an hour. All right. That seems like a good number. Yeah. Um, and that, did that count towards the side bet or it didn't count towards the side bet? It did not. Okay. That was just sort of outside. Got it. Um, but then, so to be clear though, let's say that, that, um, that you took, four hours off one day, um, like quit four hours early, you'd pay eight times four, 3,200, but we still finished the 40 hours just later. 
I guess one question is, for the purposes of the match being over, how long is each hand? So in other words, like when you did the 25K with Vini, you had a fold out with 200 hands to go or 100 hands to go or whatever. So the fold out was just based on how much you were up. So with with live, in other words, you could yes, harder for us. You could do you could do the idea that like you just call each hand two minutes and or something like that, and then you just settle the blinds. If do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a hand's probably yeah somewhere between. I don't. I would have said guess three minutes a hand, but I have no idea. All right, so three minutes is the is a hand so you can fold out and settle the blinds at three minutes a hand maybe it is two i think two okay two all right yeah. we'll say two so you can you can settle out that where you're paying your blinds at two minutes a hand um, and then what, what about actual tanking like a shot clock of sorts well i, I was in favor of the shot clock um me too poker go style where it's a large number of time banks that you get and a relatively fast clock. Yeah, I like that as well. Um, but we need then someone, I mean, we, we'd have to talk to wherever we're playing and see if the dealer's gonna operate it. Aria dealers are, a lot of them are trained because they, they do it for the tournaments a lot. Um, so probably they'd be willing to, to help with that, but I don't know. Yeah, so we can ask about that, but something like, I don't know, I think you had suggested 15 seconds pre 30 seconds post or something. Something I would have said. Yeah. And then the dates we said, we did nail them down, but I don't remember. <laughs> Do you have them? I think we were starting on, it was July, a Monday, July 25th ish Monday. If that's a Monday. All right. So Monday, July 25th through Friday, uh, 26th, Monday, July 26th. Okay. Through Friday, the 30th. And then I, so I'm getting one point, I'm getting 150K to 100K, but yeah. on the side. But if I win, then we put, we, we proceed to an online challenge. Um, yeah. That was, uh, what was it? 10K hands. I get uh, 400 to 100. 400K to 100K, yeah. And it was, Trying to do 2,000 hands a day, which based on your experience would be impossible. Well, so we could definitely agree to play very fast, but even that I think gets us to maybe between 800 and 1,000 hands over six hours. Um, and I mean, playing online, and that's, and that's two tabling. I don't know if you want to two table or one table. Two tables, fine. I mean, that's what you've been doing, right? Is two tables? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So two tables, if we play extremely fast, <laughs> um, I think the most we can get is like probably 150 hands an hour. And so if we're trying to hit 2,000, I mean, we need to play, we need to play, you know, 12 plus hour days. Could be sustainable for a couple of days, but. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. What is the standard deviation of your typical heads up PLO match? Cause if you have the standard deviation, you could plug it into one of these calculators and you could just see what yeah. win rate is assumed for four to one odds and then shrink the number of hands. Yeah, we could. I, I know the number. I don't know the, um, I don't know it off the top of my head, but yeah, I can get that pretty quickly. So then we could try to, we could chop it in half or something and then change the odds accordingly. So there, there is an accepted way to look up the standard deviation? I mean, it varies based on how aggressive each player is playing, but I could look at what it is, what it was, like the average of, of my matches or one match specifically. I mean, I don't have hands, I don't have the chance standard deviation because there's no hand histories, but um, could look it up for my other challenges or we could ask Twitter heads up PLO players. Yeah, we could just make that one the next week. Um, yeah, that works for me. And we'll just shrink it 
so that we're very confident that we can get it in in five days. And we'll use the standard deviation and just plug in the assumed win rate for 10K, four to one, four, 5K hands. And we'll say, yeah, no HUDs. And we'll try to do for that one the, the sort of what they did for this heads up challenge last week where they do the live online combo. Okay, so then what would we do for that? We would do like, how do we do the combo? Oh, oh, you mean uh, battleship? Yeah, battleship. Okay, that's yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what we agreed to, I think, initially. Anything else? It feels like there should be, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, we need to start. I mean, so on the standard deviation, the only problem is that it depends on the opponent. So I think we maybe want to choose. Uh, we it might be most fair to choose like essentially an arbitrator and say, tell us what you think our standard deviation would be. Um, so that we, cause otherwise I could take, like I could, I could go into a match from a more aggressive opponent and be like, my standard deviation is higher. I think that benefits me. Right. And when we shrink the, the odds, it's not going to be a huge range. It'll be something like, I don't know, 170 to 250, if I remember correctly, but. Okay because it is kind of subjective based on and actually we, i mean we don't know how aggressively we're going to play but um um but i just want to make sure i think whatever whatever site it is i'm forgetting the site that that is the best for these simulations i think yes. that's the range that they use anyway like that 170 to 250 so I, they yeah. they use like 200 or something so um I mean, you can change it, but that's like the default. So maybe. I mean, we're both going to try to be fair. So let's, we'll talk about it. And, and I, I can give you whatever data I have, like these are what my matches are or were. You could ask people's opinions who have played online and we'll, we'll just come to an agreement. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference or be a big deal. All right. Sounds like we've got everything. So when you bust, you reload to 20 K it's 20 K effective. And then um, there's some sort of auto reload at some number, like call it 8,000 or 10,000. If you fall below that, you just bump it up. So you don't play short kind of thing. Yeah. I, I prefer that. Uh, I don't remember what we said. Yeah. I mean, online, all my matches online, it just was, well, it was different because we would auto top up to 20 K, but then we would also either player has, would have the option to break at 40k i think or sometimes i think it's 40k um effective but we were saying for live we're just gonna start the day at 20k um reload to 20k and then you know if we get 100k deep we just play till the end of the day at 100k deep right so it is it's already different so we don't need to compare um apples to oranges i mean i always like we need some rule in place. I, I would, I mean, my preference would be just keep it at, at 20 K, but, or like 15 K and then bump it up. But if you think it's to your advantage to, to play shorter, I, you know, no, I don't think it's that. I don't think that's, it's that important. I think it's just like a logistical thing. So why don't we say if it's below like, uh, 12 K you bump it up to 20. The below yeah. 12, you, okay, below 12, you bump it up to 20, okay. Again, I'm not worried about this, but we should have a rule that, let's say that we get to like 100K effective halfway through a day, and one of us doesn't like that, so they pay the four-hour penalty to start the next day. I think we should not reset, like we should make it reset every eight hours of play so that that's not an, a potential angle. Okay. I, I don't think it needs to be, they're not any other potential loopholes that, that jump out at me. Um, but obviously, if you think of anything, we can talk about it. Pot all of it. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think we've got most of it. So that sounds, sounds great. Um, I will uh, continue with my preparations. I'm having a, having a good time doing a little bit of a preparation. I don't have a ton of time to do it, but I squeeze in some hours here or there.
heads, heads up poker is really fun. My concern on, on studying is that, um, I feel like I have some really good resources. Um, and I don't want to reveal too much to my opponent, but there's, there's all, there are always issues about where you, where you break with what you've done in the past, because there are benefits and costs, costs being that you throw out your entire previous experience base. Um, but I'm pretty sold on the idea of a uh, radical transformation pretty far along. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, str I struggled with that in my first match at first because I, I went with kind of a more radical transformation at first. And then I, I dialed it back a little bit and it's not that the, for me, it wasn't that it was, um, it wasn't that I, I don't know how to put it. It was just that there's like the old way that I thought and the new things I was supposed to do and they weren't all the way connected so that I could think through, like I, I kind of felt like I was following rules more than actively thinking. And I think it, when it clicked for me is, is I did dial it back a little bit, but I also just got comfortable enough to be actively thinking rather than following rules. Like I gave myself the freedom to, to choose differently kind of. Well, it'll be fun. I look forward to it. Um, thank you for doing the pod. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm maybe going to do a series of poker pods. Now I have to get uh, Patrick on since he had this finals run. That was that was pretty impressive that Pat and Ivy made yeah. the finals of the Heads Up Champ. So I'll work on well trying to get Ivy and, and try to get Pat on. Yeah, those would both be great. Oh, I did have one question before we broke. And if there's anything you want to plug, you should get it in. Uh, Runitonce.com is a great site, obviously. Um, anything else you want to hit on? You should do that. And I wanted to ask you about one thing. You had a picture on Twitter of teaching your son poker. Um, has that, has that been a, a fun endeavor? My, my son and I, we we're on like legend of Zelda and the heavy gaming front. We haven't, there's, there are no plans to uh, do poker, but um, my daughter is a very tricky Uno player. We'll see how that develops. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, my niece is a really tricky Uno player because she cheats. Um, but I, I actually not sure. So I, I mean, I, I, he's too young to learn poker. I've taught my niece. So my niece is um, nine now, and she can kind of play poker. We've taught her. Um, but my son's just two and a half, so he plays with. We tell him what the cards are, but that's what they're called. But that's that's as far as he's gotten. But you're not averse to teaching him poker when he's ready? I'm not. I think that, um, you know, poker is not a, certainly not a career for everybody, far from it. Um, but, you know, I'll be there to help him make decisions. If he like is actually really serious about playing poker, then I think I'll, I'll be able to dissuade him if I should. Um, and, you know, support him. If, I mean, support him no matter what, of course, but yeah, no, I'm not too worried because uh, I think I'll, I'll be able to help him navigate, you know, hopefully making good decisions surrounding surrounding gambling. I like it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brandon. Good talking to you.